That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Avakind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter at avakind.com. Also, oh my gosh, this is such big news. Yeah, We've big been really deal. waiting for this. You can now call us at 833-632-5463, aka 833-OF-A-KIND. I can't wait until we have a jingle for that. Eight three, that, that was it, I think. 833-OF-A-KIND. <laughs> That's no? pretty good. What do you think? We'll workshop it a bit. Yeah, you I think, think it's there's a start. Re- okay. Yeah. Um, so what you can do is you can leave us a voicemail. Um, you can send us questions, share a story, just say, hey, we'll figure out how to weave these into upcoming episodes. It's just very exciting. If you are leaving us a voicemail, assume that we are gonna play it on the show if it's oh, yeah. good one yeah obvious yeah yeah if you really if it's just like you a found private it, message if it's let pri- us know yeah if it's a private message let us know or just send it in email form <laughs> yeah. but we're so excited to have this new way oh of connecting with you um <laughs> you can tell us you can tell us whatever you want in a voicemail you know nice just well, send us not, a voice yeah, memo yeah yeah, nice. I mean, sure, if you want to say mean things, too, we might not or play Or just, like, it. not be really creepy, too. Don't be creepy. I don't know. You Here, trust you trust our listeners. Yeah, here's a question for you. Uh-huh. Um, have you gotten comfortable at all with voice memos as, like, a substitute for the text message? No, Claire Mazur, I have not. And um, I would like to, me in too. theory, but I just don't know if it's for me. That's how I feel. And I know, like, Amina does it sometimes, and I she's really my only friend who does it, and I pretty much I think I always respond via text um, (laughs) because I just am not I don't do it and but then that this podcast zigzag that is also work wives yeah 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 yeah, they send each other voice memos a lot and it's useful because then they put them in the podcast they will like and insert them insert them as part of the podcast which it's like a different podcast they're sort of story works chronicling Yeah. yeah um but it really made me be like, wow, they're so comfortable with this. What about this format am I so uncomfortable with? Yeah. Yeah. It, I have I've gotten a couple of voice memos that I thought worked really well, which mm-hmm. was mostly like someone talking shit. Um, yeah. To me that like just needed to be spelled, spelled out in like that way <laughs> that like text wouldn't work. I understand. That um, makes sense. Yeah. Actually, now that we're talking about it, I wouldn't be surprised if I try adopting voice memos once I have a kid because I won't be able to have my hands free as much. 
I think that that's po- quite possible. So you might you make, might be here. You might be changing your tune. <laughs> you might be getting a lot of voice memos from me come January. Yeah, yeah I'm preparing for it. Yeah, it could um, be a thing. you can respond via text if you want. <laughs> Thank you. It's very generous. Um, oh my gosh, something else we're super excited about in yeah. addition to our new phone number: mm-hmm. the socks on our website. I bought so many. We. Let me just say, we are really good at socks. Yeah. I think we have maybe the best socks on the internet. I think it's like a secret calling card of, of a kind. Yeah, totally. Totally. There, we have an, an amazing assortment of socks um, from some of the best lines. They're beautiful. We have like the best just plain socks. If you're a plain sock person, totally. we have great statement socks. Little have, sheer socks, little velvet yeah. socks, little like over the knee socks, we little, even, little, what are the, what am I, the secret socks? What are the, what do we call oh, the, the secret no shows. socks? No shows. No, no shows. shows. Yeah, no, it's like um, we are the sock in that way that Saks really tried to make it its stake its reputation on the shoe floor, 1022 shoe. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is not as good as A33 of a kind, but <laughs> I understand. I get that's the right. point. I feel like that's socks for us. Um, can you I tell you a really quick story about no show socks? Yeah. Um, so I was telling you that um, A Star is Born is really depressing, but funnier mm-hmm. than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie is about yeah. no show socks. Really? Which just felt surprising interesting yeah. yeah it was a really funny no-show sock scene wow best sock comedy i've seen in a long time are you trying not to spoil it for the audience because now i want to know um okay i'll tell you so okay. um bradley cooper's character is sitting in a room with a like record exec and mm-hmm. um he, the, like the record exec says something to him that i can't remember what the line is and he's mm-hmm. like no this huh yeah. and bradley cooper's like no socks huh and points to the guy yeah. and then the guy's like oh actually like i do and he's like i have these like girl <laughs> socks these like hidden secret girl socks and bradley cooper's like oh Huh. Like it was just, it just worked really well. That is so interesting because Chris loves a no-show sock even more than I do. And something upsetting has happened, which is that all of the no-show socks in our life end up in his drawer, oh. in his sock drawer. So he steals like all, all of, my of them, no- except for basically like the hot pink ones. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty upsetting. Um, so I take issue with that record producer calling them a girl sock. Yeah. I don't know if that's exactly, I can't yeah. remember exactly, but the, yeah, he, he did make, he did note that they were like a girly thing to have yeah. this like secret yeah. little it, it, it's a, it's slipper a, sock. Yeah, it's like a ballet slipper sock is what it was originally. Secrets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. What did you do last weekend? Um, I had one of the worst Sundays of my life at the Brooklyn Ikea. Um, Red Hook, Ikea. I hadn't been there in so long. I hadn't been there since the you and I and our husbands went on a double date. Yeah. In um, what was that, like 2012, maybe? Yeah. Probably. It, it was like yeah. when we moved into our first office, the four of us rented a van <sighs> Six car years ago. And went we got together. lobster rolls. Yeah. That was like the highlight. And then we we roped our husbands into helping us like basically like purchase and put together Ikea furniture for our office. Yep. Purchase and assemble. Boy, what a great weekend gig. <laughs> And because it had been so long since I'd been there, I forgot to dread it. Yeah. I was like, I know which exactly which crib I want. Plus, we need some other stuff, and I'm sure they'll have it just for the baby's room. And you thought that there might be discoveries. I thought that there were going to be discoveries because I feel like the last time I went to Ikea, there was that moment of being like, oh, this is like a good looking bowl that I could use. Well, and also I think the internet does a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I.e. the Ikea PR team does a lot of work toward disseminating the idea that there are these Ikea discoveries. And so they're constantly roundups of like the 10 things you didn't know you could get at Ikea. The same way it's like the 12 things from Trader Joe's you haven't tried but should. Same. 5,000%. I, and now that you're saying that, I totally forgot about a really inspiring like remodelista thing I read recently that was like the 10 best things from Ikea's fall catalog. And I was like, wow, these Ooh. all do look great. <laughs> and let me tell you something. 
I don't know which Ikea they're carrying those things at, <laughs> but like there's nothing new at Ikea. There is been Not nothing, the Brooklyn one, at least. No, there has been nothing new at Ikea since you went to college and went shopping for your yeah. first apartment. Yeah. And they have a shocking dearth of baby things. They That's so surprising so to surprising me. surprising because that's exactly where you're like, I'm not going to spend a million dollars on a crib I'm not going to keep this gonna, for 30 yeah, years. Exactly. Um, hopefully. Yeah. So um, I went, it, it's it's so, it's a dystopian nightmare as soon as you walk in, just like all of these. But dystopian spelled differently. <laughs> That's right. And it's mobbed with fighting families. And um, there was one fighting family that like followed us the whole time. This dad had a serious temper problem. I'm sorry. <laughs> and all of the furniture. I don't know why I think that's really funny. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it's like not actually funny, but it is to it, me there today. Were, all the furniture's chipped. You're just like, this isn't it all what I want my house to look like. Um, by the time I got to the fun part, which is the like marketplace part, which mm, is where you make those discoveries. And, oh, oh, the little things. I know what you mean. Like, I know oh what you mean. Gosh, look at this dish. The towel. grab and goes. The pillow. grab and goes. Yeah. yeah. The things you don't have to find, write down a number for to get from a rack downstairs. Exactly. Okay. By the time I got there, I was just racing to get the F out of there yeah. because, you know, I can't has this maze that they force you to walk through. So then what are you doing this weekend? I'm going back to <laughs> Ikea. Um, I didn't realize I had that punchline <laughs> up my sleeve and that you would get that, that. What a gift you'd given us. This time I'm doing using their click and collect service, which, you know, so you can order this crib online. It's $80. And it is the crib that everybody tells you like, hey, you don't if need to spend a lot of money a, on If you're a getting crib. an $80 crib, this is the $80 yeah, crib to get. Yeah. And like, you don't need to spend a lot of money on the crib. Spend the money on a good mattress. But like, here's this perfectly totally. good looking $80 crib. So you can get it, you can buy it online and have it delivered, but it will be $40, which Mm -hmm. as you and I have discussed, like I... Well, typically I'll, you would spend the $40, I spend the $40 yeah. but I was so mad. I was like, I'm not giving Ikea 50% of the price of the crib no. just to deliver it. So, no, so you're, <laughs> you're putting your foot down and you're going back there. I'm going back there, which is the- an interesting, you, you showed them boy, <laughs> you pull them back up into that parking lot. It's so rude. There's this thing called the click and collect service, but it's where you can like purchase it and they'll have it kind of waiting for you like and yeah. by waiting for you I mean it looks like the DMV like you have to go get a number, a number and then mm-hmm. your number gets called and then you walk up and they give you the thing yeah waiting feels like a bit of an overstatement <laughs> um, they'll have it not on the back yeah. that shelf they'll have it on a different shelf that's right um, and I can tell you everybody in that area looked very miserable when I went to have the fight with the manager about it great and Bodes well <laughs> um, they the thing that really just like gets me about Ground the your gears. Yeah. There's a $5 fee for it, but don't worry. They'll give you back the $5 in the form of an Ikea gift card. Yeah. It's, it's rough. Claire. And I just, I, the thing, I just walked out of there being like, I don't understand how this brand has, has such a good reputation among like everybody. Like, it's just like, everybody loves Ikea. It's a great, Oh my God. I love, it. no, it's so depressing going there. It's yeah. an awful experience. Don't go. Don't <laughs> like order it online. I don't know. Or just don't forget to dread it. Like I did. Don't I forget totally to dread it. Forgot don't forget to dread, to dread it. it. That's yeah. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, that's, speaking that's, of advice, yeah. can we bring on our guest? Let's do it. We are both so excited about our next guest whose book we both read recently and got loved. very excited about, like really loved. I read it on vacation and cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't cry, but I was very engaged. It, it was it was relevant to you in a different way. Yes. <laughs> um, Angela Garbus is a writer based in Seattle, Washington, where she lives with her family. Her book, Like a Mother, Essays Exploring the Emerging Science and Longstanding Cultural Myths of Pregnancy and Motherhood came out this year in May of 2018. Angela, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. 
Um, can you, one of the things, one of the places we wanted to start was talking about the decision to have kids at all, because it's something that we have talked about a lot on this podcast and between ourselves, I am seven months pregnant and I am not going to be pregnant ever. Okay. <laughs> um, can you talk about the decision, what that decision looked like for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was a joint decision between yeah. my husband yeah. and yeah. myself. Um, but I think, you know, it, but it goes back like many years, yeah. I think I've never been, well, I think in our culture generally, we tend to divide into two camps. It's really like, I love kids, have always known that I've wanted them, or like, I hate kids, don't want kids, right? Mm -hmm. And we, I feel like we talk about it that way when the truth is so many of us are ambivalent. Yep, that was me for sure. Spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that was the way I was. Like, I felt like I think I've always known that I wanted to have a kid, but I didn't feel like, oh, I need to. I didn't mm -hmm. feel like my life would be incomplete without yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and when my husband and I started dating, I don't know, maybe it was like 11 years ago, I remember, you know, I think women who think about having kids have sort of a number in the back of their mind, too, of like when when they would want to do that by, mm -hmm. because you're, you know, you're also told, like, it gets harder when you're older right. and that kind of thing. Um, so when we were first dating, and it was just before I turned 30, I don't know, like, you know, when I knew that it was, like, you felt like it was something real, um, I just mentioned, you know, we just came up, like, have you thought about having kids? And he was like, nope, never thought of it. <laughs> and I was like, never thought okay. of it one way or the other. <laughs> and then I think we were sort of, like, feeling each other out, and he looked at me and he was like, you got he has something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember just saying, you know, and it was actually truthful. I was like, well, I don't really know exactly where I fall on that. I'm pretty sure that I want to, but mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really know. I was like, it's going to come up at some point. So, you know, maybe in the next like five or six years, yeah. <laughs> like at some point, I'm going to want to talk about it. So you should probably have some thoughts by then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so give yourself and, five or six years and gather your it. thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, we didn't really, we didn't talk about it a lot. I mean, I think we, we both sort of knew it was there. And at one point we would revisit it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think then, I mean, flash forward exactly like six years later, we got married. We had done this really big thing that we wanted to do, which was we traveled the world, um, for a year after we got married, we had mm -hmm. saved money for like four years to do it. And we were kind of thinking about like, what do we, want to do next, like in our life together, in partnership. And I don't know, I remember thinking like how much I really was excited for, I mean, we, we both are big believers in change mm -hmm. and change being um, really like what life is about. Mm -hmm. And we generally aren't afraid of that. We try to walk into it as much as possible and welcome it. Wow. And yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I started going to therapy this year because I suddenly found myself in the position after having one kid and pregnant with my second being like, I, I think I, I'm scared of change. <laughs> Basically I got to this place where I, I felt like I was really, I felt like I knew my husband really well and we had made this, this really good life together. And I, we both felt kind of ready at the same time to, to get to know each other in a different way. Mm. Um, again, to get to know each other specifically as parents. Yeah. Um, and the idea, you know, the more, the more time that I spent with him, I mean, he's, frankly, I think he's a better person than I am. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, wow, like, what, uh, he would be an amazing father, mm -hmm. right? And it would really be amazing to, like, 
grow into this thing with him and what would that bring into our life? And so um, we were both open to it. And I think we both were like, I mean, I was 30, how old was I when I had my daughter? I was 37 Mm -hmm. when I had her, um, my first daughter. So we also were aware, you know, like this may not happen right away or there's a chance that it won't happen. And so we were kind of like, let's just see what happens and, and we'll go from there. So... Um, it was a long road, to be honest. Yeah, but a considered one, which is important, uh, truly. Um, I want to like issue yeah. a correction on something I said earlier that I feel like an asshole about because I said I, I'm not going to be pregnant ever. I don't know if I'm going to be pregnant ever, but I don't want to have <laughs> a kid. <laughs> yeah, feels like I can control no, I, one of those things yeah. and not the other yes. necessarily. Um, so, Angela, it's one thing to decide you want to have a kid, but it's another thing to decide to write a book about the process and the experience. Um, yeah. What? And more and more than that about, you know, pregnancy and motherhood and um, the the myths that were sold and the science mm-hmm. that is that is currently evolving. At what point did you decide, OK, I need to tackle this as um, as, a, as a work? Yeah, well, I mean, it's that I wrote a book about pregnancy and motherhood and, and specifically about the science of it is honestly it's kind of the biggest surprise of my life. <laughs> I mean, I worked as a writer for years, like over a decade, and I was a food writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the opportunity, I mean, the reason why I ended up writing this book is because the opportunity came to me, and I was just like, I would be a fool mm-hmm. not to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it happened because I wrote this article about breast milk because I was a new mom, I was a nursing mom, and I was a working mom, and I felt really like the answers that I had been given about breast milk, because I felt like there was a lot of pressure to breastfeed, Sure. and I wanted to do that, but I also felt like no one prepared me for her, how hard it would be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I felt really... I I felt really tired and depleted, and I was kind of looking for more motivation. And when I asked questions about, you know, you're told breast is best, and when I asked really basic questions, like how does that work that you're telling me immunologically it's better for a baby, Mm -hmm. um, no one had answers. And so I just... I wrote this article wanting to figure out those answers, and the article went viral, um, which was completely unexpected. Um, and it just exists in this, like, it's like a satellite that <laughs> beams nice things at me like, in my life now. Um, it has its own life. And I got an agent because of that, and she said, you know, have you thought about turning this into a book? And I said, well, I don't actually know that I could write an entire book about breast milk. And she said, well, do you have other ideas that are preferably related? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I have so many other questions Mm -hmm. that never got answered when I was pregnant. And even before, you know, like I had two miscarriages before I had my daughter. I felt like no one was ready to talk to me about pregnancy loss and what Mm -hmm. that experience was. I had questions about, you know, placenta, so many things that um, when you're in it, you know, and then you have a baby, you're so busy, and there are all these things that I wanted to know about, and it turns out other people wanted to know about it, too. So, I mean, I really honestly just did it because I was given the opportunity at that place in time, and I just decided to jump at it. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing it, though, there were so many moments where I was like, how is it that I am the person that gets to do this? Like, there's probably someone more qualified. Well, I know. <laughs> there's probably someone, you know, and, it's, and, you know, motherhood and the whole subject is very fraught. Yeah. You know, like, I really yeah. was worried about how people would react to things, so I worked mm-hmm. really hard. To, I, I didn't want anyone to feel like I was judging them mm-hmm. in their choices that they made, which yeah. is... Um, 
which is a really big part of the book and what I worked so hard to I think to you really succeeded it. at that, 100%. Um, as someone who has come into the process of pregnancy very much like I don't, feeling like I don't want to be influenced by anything. I just like want to get or this, preached at. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so it has actually like, I, I'm a very curious person, but have been not that curious about a lot of pregnancy stuff. Cause I'm like, I don't know, this baby is just going to come out one way or the other. And I don't want to hear all mm-hmm. this stuff about why I need to have a natural childbirth. Like I don't even want to be exposed to it. Um, I found your book very refreshing and, and not, um, not scary. Um, it didn't, you know, it didn't okay. stress me out. The thing that I, mm-hmm really loved about it and that I was seeking and that, um, that your book delivered on was the realities of, of being pregnant and, and of becoming a mother that I, Mm -hmm. I was aware of because I've been really lucky to be surrounded by a lot of really talkative and open women for a lot of my adult life who share, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the realities of like your pelvic floor getting destroyed and what it's like to have a bowel movement for the first time after being, you know, giving birth and all of those things. Terrifying. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Terrifying. Yeah. And, 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 um, you know, and the isolation of miscarriage and all of that. And, and the thing that has always driven me so crazy is that it's not talked about in a bigger way. Um, yeah. And I felt like a real disconnect. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a big, I wanted to sort of bridge. And I mean, I went into the book thinking, this is the book that I wanted. This is the book that my mm-hmm. friends wanted, because why is there such a huge, I realize there's a, there's a tonal difference between what a healthcare provider will tell you and what your mm-hmm. yeah. close friend will tell you. But, but the information itself, or some sense of that reality, like why is that? Why is that gap so wide between those it, those two groups of people? It's re- it, well, it's because we don't care about women enough. <laughs> you know, is True. the reality and yeah. and I like one of the things that I really struggled with in my conversation, specifically with my husband, about whether or not we were going to have kids, is my feeling that he wasn't fully informed in the way that I was, just by virtue of having uh-huh. a coven of women around me. Um, yeah. And what I love so much about your book is that it's making this very plain, and that it is explaining it in scientific terms and it it just is is getting it out there and as soon as I finished the book I shoved it in my husband's face and I was like this is incredibly important to me that you read this like immediately oh. um, but I and I guess you know, I've gotten a lot of messages recently from women who are like as soon as I finished this book I gave it to my husband and he's hmm. reading it and hmm. several of them have told me it's the only pregnancy book that they've read that that their husbands have read yeah i mean it's very cool it'll be that for us and it was like it was it was like urgently important to me that he read it Mm -hmm. because i i i mean there had been times where i would like talk to him about like oh god i'm like starting to pee myself all the time and he's like looked at me in total horror like i had no idea i'm so sorry and i'm like of course you had no idea you don't know anything about this (laughs) and i mean how could you know yeah yeah it's it's happening in your body yeah i mean i used to say this to my husband with not in the best way, but I would be like, you know, you have, this has been happening in my body for so long, Mm -hmm. right? Like my whole life has been upended. Everything about myself has changed. And like, I know becoming a father is is something that's a big change in your life, but it doesn't actually happen for you until the Mm -hmm. baby shows up. It, you know, and, and that's the, at that isolation is you can feel really isolated from your own partner. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think, you know, besides forcing our husbands to read your book, how do you think we make sure that men are as exposed to this information as women are? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, men, it's everyone. I, I really just feel like we should be talking about this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like if everyone, if, I mean, all of us 
Someone got pregnant. <laughs> we were all we all came here the same way. That's... We grew up in someone's body. Like birth and pregnancy are relevant to every person on earth. Mm-hmm. That's something I really believe. And I think that we should just be talking more about that. I mean I I didn't know the details of my own birth or how my mom coped with that until like later in life. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that we talked more openly about these things. Um, I really believe that if we had a better understanding of what happened in pregnancy, in childbirth, and afterwards, we'd just have a much healthier society, one that understood where we came from and one that valued women more. Yeah. Um, so I always tell people the small thing is, you know, like, just talk about it, yeah. right? Like, you go to an office and you listen to people talk about, like, what Netflix show they're binging, <laughs> their pet, right? Like, yeah. what they made for dinner. And, like, that stuff is, it's important, but it's trivial, right? But you spend time talking about that. But I feel like a lot of parents and pregnant people feel like they can't talk about their kids or, like, their heartburn, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's just what's going on in your life, and it shouldn't be siloed away. It shouldn't be this separate experience. Um, it's, you know... Pregnancy is about life, and that's, again, relevant to everyone. Um, you'd be really pleased to hear that we had a team dinner earlier this week, and Claire gave a really elaborate explanation of her acid reflux to the waiter in front of our whole team. So that was not an issue. I mean, one of the things I think as a person who doesn't who doesn't have plans or a desire to be a parent, I think one of the things that's really satisfying about your book, Angela, is that um, it does take the scientific approach. And I think reading it for me was similar to reading like, being mortal by Atul Gawande, where I'm not mm-hmm. dying um, right now, hopefully, um, but it's still Except very relevant. We're all dying every day. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's still like very relevant to my, you know, experience as a human being to understand how these yeah. things work. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me, and it means a lot to me when I hear from people who have no interest right, in having a kid, or um, one because they feel like it helps them support other people, but it also helps them appreciate their body, like even if even everyone should be able to choose what they do with this body, but it is what your body is designed to do. It's why you bleed every month, you know, like it is what, like, it's a step that you have to engage in on some level. And, you know, the, you know, the book has a, the subtitle includes the word feminist. And I think it's really important also to recognize that, you know, feminism needs more discussions of motherhood. The reason why we don't have, you know, gender equality, where we have a pay gap is because of your because of women's biological yep. ability to to give birth and to have kids. So, I mean, you're treated as less than human, as less than, because you're able to do this, whether you choose to do it or not. Right. So it seems to me also, again, important to, to understand that. Um, one of, you know, to, to speak more to this, the, this sort of scientific aspects of your book and what makes it so interesting to understand, it's, one of the more frustrating parts of pregnancy I found is a lack of scientific mm-hmm. explanations. Um, the most stunning one to me has been the morning sickness um, and the fact that there's just you can Google till, you know, the cows come home, but there's really no scientific explanation for why women are nauseous typically for the first right. why trimester. It some women more than others. And, you know, I kind of wish there's there are a few different things. Morning sickness and cravings mm-hmm. specifically. I, I thought when I wrote a proposal, I was like, I'm going to investigate this. Yep. And there wasn't like there wasn't enough research yeah. for me to yeah. like sustain um, a whole chapter about those things. And so that's, I mean, some of that stuff ended up not being in the book because of that. Um, but also, to your point, what what did end up being in there was there are multiple points on on topics such as pregnancy loss, the placenta, breast milk you know, postpartum health, 
every expert that I talked to said some version of the same thing, which is that, you know, compared to what we should know, yeah. we don't know anything. Yeah. yeah, We've never really valued this. You know, when I identified, insert topic here, you know, yeah. the placenta, as, a, as an interesting thing to study, I went, they did what scientists did, was they went and looked in the research literature, and many people were surprised to find that there was nothing there. Right. And this is just in the last few decades. Yep. Can we um, talk about the placenta chapter? That was one of my favorite chapters, and it is yeah, so fascinating how little we know. My favorite chapter to write. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. Tell us everything you learned about the placenta, or at least some of it. Uh, <laughs> so like, we all, I mean, I was aware that it's an organ, but when I, yes. when I did Fresh Air with Terry Gross, she was like, so the placenta, it's an organ. And I was like, yeah, this is where we're starting from, right? People <laughs> don't realize that. Like, it's an organ that you, it's an organ like a brain, a heart, a liver. Right. It's one that you grow entirely from scratch alongside the person that you're growing from scratch. So right then and there, it's amazing. And it's the organ that makes all of the other organs possible, right? Mm -hmm. It acts as as the heart, as the lungs for a fetus. Um, The others, I mean, some of the the main points that I think are incredible are that um, the human placenta is actually super invasive. It's more invasive than any other mammalian placenta. And it has to (laughs) go really deep to connect to the mother's blood supply. And the way that it does this is it actually, like, secretes these proteins that induce death in uterine cells. It goes in there and it disguises. Placental cells will disguise themselves as uterine cells so that it can um, go in even deeper. And what they've discovered recently is that they've, they've, they've found that it's very similar to how cancers grow in the body, mm. including breast cancer. Um, so the placenta is amazing, and it also potentially holds insight into, you know, larger issues in human health. If we studied and valued the placenta and understood how it grew better, we might understand how cancer grows in the body better. Which is um, funny because one of the, the or sort of ironic, because one of the, I think, most striking points in the book when it comes to your discussions of research is the like this massive disparity between the amount of money that cancer research gets versus the amount of money mm-hmm. that research for like women and women's bodies and pregnancy gets um, is yeah. just, it's a massive. And I mean, we should care about maternal and fetal health mm-hmm. period. Yes. We should care about it because it's foundational to everyone's health. And also because something like the placenta, which also another amazing thing, yep. <laughs> the placenta, my favorite organ. Please keep going. That, um, <laughs> so it's 50% somebody else. It's 50% genetic material, somebody right. else, and it originates from the fetus. So it's actually really a foreign invader yeah. in the mother's body. And how it tricks the mother's body to tolerating it is something that we don't, we also don't totally understand. But if we did, we might also know um, and be able to improve things like organ transplantation. Right. Because, you know, a body's natural inclination is to reject an organ, and it's only through a lot of drugs that a body can accept another organ, but but pregnant women do this naturally. Mm-hmm. So there's so much to learn from studying maternal health that doesn't just benefit mothers, it actually could benefit all people. Right. <laughs> so I think that's an important point I, to understand too. You know, this isn't just about women and babies, it's about everybody. And be, beyond just the obvious of, <laughs> sorry to keep repeating this, we don't care about women as much. Are there other no, I, re- you know, I'm actually, I have to say <laughs> that I'm so glad when you said it because I've become the person at events afterwards. I'll be like, oh, I came on too strong. Like, I just, I had to ask We're happy to be the ones to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, keep someone, saying it. Someone, oh. like, it's come up several times where in, you know, people will be like, why is this happening? And I'll be like, 
Because our country hates women. (laughs) Our country hates us, right? So it was really nice to have somebody else say it. So those are all, I would say, probably the primary reasons why we don't have this research. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because we don't care about women. Um, But... Are there other complicating factors? Is it because it's like too dangerous to study pregnant women because you're endangering the fetus? Are there are there other reasons beyond that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is there's there's definitely ethical questions that mm-hmm. come up, right? Especially when you're talking about drugs and alcohol, yep. right? And you can't you can't just be like, here, like guzzle six martinis and we'll see how it goes, <laughs> right? Yeah. See how that affects you negatively. Right. So it is, you know, we should acknowledge that that it is tricky, right? Yep. Um, but and so a lot of but a lot of the studies then though that you know that we we tell people don't touch alcohol right mm-hmm. um, even because we don't know that what the safe amount is is what told but you know I think about how we don't know what the safe amount of driving would be or texting while driving before you die in a car crash but we don't you know we're <laughs> now starting to tell people not to do that but it's um, it's just complicated we should have like more nuanced conversations around that yeah um, and with yeah so it's. It's hard to study pregnancy because it's a kind of a two-in-one state of life, mm-hmm. right? But it's also really hard to study lots of other things about the yeah. human body. It's hard to get into someone's brain, right? right? Butterfly, right? It's, there's there's we so figure many out things, yeah, that we've figured it out. And so I'm not sure why we haven't figured those things out yet. I think... Um, we're, we're behind on that. Sure are. Um, one of the things that you address in the book, you know, in thinking about how far America um, is behind in these topics is other countries that are doing more to provide for mothers and, and, and children. Um, what are some of the learnings that you took away that we could be adopting if some if someday, um, God willing, uh, there were to be some uh, more governmental supported maternal maternity program or something of the like? Right. Well, I mean, I think number. I mean, one of my big issues is family leave. Yeah. Everyone should have family leave, and again, that would be beneficial to everyone. There's, you know, moms and and babies, right, and parents and and fathers who could then be more involved, right. So paid family leave. Also, you know, family leave to me is everyone's going to need that at some point in their life, whether you choose to have a child or not. Correct. You're probably going to have a parent or a loved one, and you're going to need to take time off to take care of them. Um, so that's the number one. I mean, I think that sends a message that this is important. We value the people taking care of the next generation of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just think, you know, the standard of postpartum care in America is disgraceful. Yeah. It is one six-week appointment. Yeah. And typically it's very short, and most of the time women go in and they're like, okay, so you're clear to have sex. Yep. As though that's the thing that you're even thinking about. Mm-hmm. That's you know? the one hold up in your life. That's it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Compare it to this. If you, when you have a baby, the baby gets a one week, a two month, a two month. Yep. Sorry. Sorry. If you have a baby, the baby has a one week, a two week, a one month, a two month, a six month, a nine month, and a one year checkup. A new mom gets one six week checkup. For what will, in many cases, be one of the most traumatic physical experiences she ever goes through. Yes. And you go in and you don't have a lot of time. You may not. And you, you know, you feel this pressure to be like, I'm fine. Yep. Right? Like, I'm happy. I just had a baby. I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm falling apart and I'm still bleeding. Right. But, you know, there's not a lot of room to ask those questions. So I think, you know, we need to change. And I think I'm, I'm a little bit hopeful. Like the um, ACOG, which is the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. just released a paper in May saying that 
postpartum care should be more than one appointment. It should be a process, and it should also um, include, you know, not just physical health, but psychological, sexual, and infant feeding. So this is, you know, this is really kind of like the weather vane of the medical establishment. So mm-hmm. if they're saying this, that's significant. And also, I think it reflects that, like, it means that other groups have been screaming about this for years, right? Yeah. And they're finally paying attention to that. But that does make me hopeful um, that the conversation can move forward. The other thing that I tell people, if you're fortunate enough to have health insurance, you should look into physical therapy mm-hmm. post-delivery. Um, and, I mean, actually, if you can go beforehand, too, so that you can be working with someone who has a sense of where your body's at mm-hmm. and what's going on with it. I mean, physical therapy is really it's low cost. Sometimes you can just have a small copay. Sometimes insurance covers this. You don't really know. No one will tell you. You have to kind of know to ask mm-hmm. or to pursue it, which is why I like to talk about it with everyone. But when you go in there, it's someone working, you know, doing a full assessment of your body, assessing where it's strength, where, where it's strong and where it's weak and where you can improve. And you can walk out of there with, I mean, I think of it as a prescription, you know, exercises to help you. And even if you never go again, even if you just have one appointment, mm-hmm. it could really make a difference. Um, I will, this, for anyone, you know, still considering whether or not to buy this book, I will say that in general, all of the things you just talked about are such a distinguishing feature of your book for me that sets it apart from other pregnancy books and that it is so focused on the mother and that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the parts where you talk about postpartum care and compare it to, for example, in France, where it's like, of course, everybody has a physical therapist for, for pelvic mm-hmm. floor, mm-hmm. Things. Yeah. Yeah. um, really helped reposition how I could think about my own pregnancy and gave me permission to like put myself first and say like, yeah, this is my body. And, and I do have to really care for myself. And it made, when I was um, looking for a new um, OB, it was a question that I asked, like, what is, what's your take on postpartum care? What's your approach to it? I can tell you that the answers were not satisfying, but I felt really Mm -hmm. good having asked it. Um, And I really appreciate that about the book because it, the that both, means so much to me. I'm so glad to hear that. Both the medical community and also just the bulk of the literature out there aimed at pregnant women is really focused on the child. And of course, that's everything's important. baby first. Yeah. Everything's baby first. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, I think that, no, that one of the first one of the first interviews I did when the book came out, which, by the way, I was three months postpartum. <laughs> we have to talk out. about yeah, that. I want to talk about that a lot. <laughs> but I said this thing and the way the person reacted, there was like a there was a mild but audible gasp over the phone. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I guess this is a really radical idea. And so therefore, I'm, I'm going to beat this drum every chance I get. Which is one of the things that I want people to take away from the book is, yes, of course, the baby is important. But you, as a mother, are never any less important mm-hmm. than the baby. Yeah. I mean, that's really, those two things are not mutually exclusive, right? They are not in competition with each other. Like, I just think we really encourage women to like this idea of sacrificing, giving everything for the baby. Like, Mm -hmm. you're already giving so much. You need, you need to be whole to be able to do this. Um, And yeah, so I'm really glad, like, really, it means the world to me that it inspired you to ask those questions and advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's that's everything that I could want. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it it reminded me of what I know to be true too, which is that I'm not going to be a good mother if I'm not taking care of myself, mm-hmm. um, which is which is such an important thing. Um, 
to pick up on what you yeah. said, uh, what you mentioned, which is also a way in which I feel deeply connected to you and your experience. So Erica and I wrote a book and it's coming out two months after this baby is due. And when I oh, heard your, yeah. when I heard Terry Gross ask you how it was going, um, <laughs> it, it, doing book promotion. Exactly. Um, well, months. we pushed back our release date to that March date. It had yeah. been February. So thank you for that. I think we'll both yeah. be <laughs> really appreciative when the time comes. Yeah. I it, listening to you, to that answer I like talked I, I think then that day I pulled Erica aside and I was like I think we need to talk about pushing the release date of the book yeah <laughs> um, so can you talk about what that experience was like promoting a book a couple months after you'd had a baby yeah I mean I'm still doing it yeah it's, um it's been really hard yeah yeah it's been um I'm at this place now where I'm just able to like like kind of take stock of all the things that I've been given, mm -hmm. but also what it required of me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt like I was all output mm -hmm. for so many months. And, you know, the work of writing a book is more inward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's me, it was basically me alone in my guest room writing. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm, I'm talking all the time. I'm interacting with people, and it felt like just such a output of energy. And then I literally had this baby that was like, I felt like she was sucking the life out of me mm -hmm. in so many mm -hmm. ways. Um, so it was really hard. The thing that, you know, I got the first, you know, she was three months when the book came out. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like it was a lot of output, a lot of output. And I needed my husband to help be really protective of like rest yeah. <laughs> and not having my phone to answer emails like that's not that's not what we need to be doing because here I was also living out the irony you know like yeah. I'm living out this life where I think I in my secret heart I think that I should be doing nothing and being paid to do it right? <laughs> <laughs> like, not doing nothing but taking care of my child like, yeah of course like because that's real work yeah um so I felt also I mean I have some complicated feelings about this I felt conflicted in some ways mm -hmm. you know and I felt like I was never going to be enough for anyone, yeah. for the baby, for my oldest daughter, for my husband, right, mm -hmm. in service of the book, like, because there's, you just really want it to find its way in the world. The thing that has been really helpful is that after all that output, I started to get feedback from people. Um, and that's been really, that has like fed my, filled my well mm -hmm. and been really generative. It's, I mean, in talking to you guys, it's just also reinforces that like it was something that people needed that felt useful to them yeah um and i get a lot of really wonderful feedback from people and that's been that's been really good but it is i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> <laughs> be totally honest. it's good you, you can know? be honest <laughs> yeah yeah but the thing is it's also like but that's life yeah right? oh yeah yeah i mean i got pregnant when i got pregnant i mean i got actually i got pregnant and then i lost a pregnancy mm -hmm. And then we, like, took a few months off, and we're like, we'll just see what happens. And then when I got pregnant again, I wasn't really planning it all out. If yeah. I had, I never would have done it this way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one other thing that I'd say, though, is that as hard as it was, it, it actually felt right mm -hmm. in some ways because I felt so close to the material yeah. mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I felt really, like, I can speak to this. Like, we don't support people enough and all of that, you know, postpartum especially was just fresh. Yeah. And I could talk about it in a way that was real. It didn't feel distant. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, Angela, this has been amazing. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Um, everybody needs to read Like a Mother. Um, 
get it where you buy books, independent bookstores, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. Follow us at Of A Kind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page. If you have ideas or requests for the show, email them to a few things at ofakind.com. To advertise, email advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music, Butterfield East, is written and performed by the Soulful Saints. Thank you.